But it is true, we have a lot of tax-funded uh, services. So one of the great ones, in my opinion, and I think that's, uh, if you look at it, if you look at Denmark as a business, I think it's, it's a good business as well. Um, university is for free. We are, we are a small country, so I think uh, almost every Dane knows that the future for, for Denmark is knowledge. So for that, we need a lot of well-educated people. On top of that, we also have student support. So you can you, you actually get a grant from the government every month you attend university up to a total of six years. Good, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning into episode 58 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and those practicing the financial independence retire early movement about the best investments they've made in themselves that help get them to where they are today. And before we start this episode, I need to plug my new YouTube series, Reality Check Cannabis in 2020. It's an eight-episode edutainment series on the cannabis plant and the new budding cannabis industry in general. It's a little passion project of mine and my effort to help eliminate the negative stigma created over the years by the failed war on drugs that wrongfully associated the most versatile plant on the planet with crime and violence as an excuse to arrest minorities to fill the prison system. Since the natural progression of time has led us to rediscover its medicinal benefits and created a recreational industry that started in Canada with the U.S. next in line, the best time to consider investing is now. So tune into my YouTube channel at Make More Capital or search Reality Check Cannabis in 2020 to learn about the top U.S. and Canadian cannabis companies right now so you can pick the front runner to invest in and cash in on the upcoming Green Rush. Hey everybody, so today on the show we have the mind behind the Instagram account Dividend Club. This content creator is all about dividend investing and he has grown his online community to roughly 69,000 followers and counting. He uses his background in economics and accounting to drive his goal to help people generate passive income. So we're going to find out what inspired him to give back. So everyone, please welcome Morton on the show. How are you doing today, Morton? Hi Jordan, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for joining me. You're actually the first guest I have that's outside of Canada, US, and the UK. So you're my first kind of international guest. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> Good. You should be actually, not necessarily, I just forgot, but it was in Germany. So you'd be the, the first Danish, at least. The, my first yeah, Danish. Yeah, okay. Okay. I can live with that. <laughs> I guess I, I but yeah, my apologies. I guess I haven't realized how many episodes I've done, but it's it's always great to have many investors from different backgrounds come on and share their story. So how are how are you doing in 2020 so far? Have you adjusted to your new normal? Well, you know, I'm still working from home. Um, I work in a bank, and uh, Denmark uh, went into lockdown like rest of Europe in in you know in in March and April. And uh, my employer has been mm-hmm. very cautious, so they've kept a lot of employees at home for as long as possible. And we are seeing a resurgence in, in COVID numbers uh, currently. So I don't think I'm going to go uh, back to work uh, this year. It's tough getting used to, but it obviously also is a different time we are living yeah. in and, and you just have to go through with it. Yeah. At the same time, you know, you can't control everything. And sometimes you just have to play it out and be patient. And I think you have the right the right mentality there. Yeah. And so you mentioned, though, so have you been working from home for a while? Is that something you're kind of used to? I've been working home uh, the last six months. Before that, I did not work from home. I went to the office every day. So obviously, you you save some time in in traffic and so on. So that's great. Also, on the downside, it is, uh, at least to me, it was easier before when you went to the office. 
whenever you went home to like uh, close the computer and then that was it. Yeah. And the computer is at home and you're like, oh, I can just do this because then I don't have to do this tomorrow. So that's pros and cons, right? Yeah, it's so true. It mixes kind of work with the rest of life and that can be tough sometimes too to put away. Yeah, <laughs> Good point. Are, are, and so you're based in Denmark, is that Copenhagen? Yes, I'm from Copenhagen. It's uh, the capital of Denmark and we are a very small country. Right. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Copenhagen, but the population of the biggest city, which is Copenhagen, is, is just a million a million people. Oh, that's so interesting. Because well, where yeah. I live in Ottawa, Canada, we're a very small city compared to Toronto and others, but we have a million people. So yeah, I can imagine it. What's <laughs> and so you're born and raised in Copenhagen? Um, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm. Uh, I finished my elementary school and high school just uh, 30 minutes out of Copenhagen, and uh, my girlfriend and I just uh, bought a house in that town. It's called Roskilde. We are very uh, excited to go back. Okay. So that will happen here in in the next month or so. And I do think COVID uh, pushed on on that a little bit. Sitting at home in a apartment for six months <laughs> makes you want. You know, more you space. need a little more space. Yeah. Yeah, a little garden and stuff like that. Makes sense. Makes sense. And yeah, so do you mind sharing uh, a little bit about Denmark? I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't know as much about the Nordic countries. However, I, I am an avid traveler, so I do plan to get there at some point. Uh, can you mm-hmm. share some fun facts about it or anything that you really like about it? Yeah, sure. Denmark is um, the most southern part of the Scandinavian countries. It is attached to Germany, which is in northern Europe. We have a pretty cool climate, I would say. And knowing I'm talking to a Canadian, maybe I should <laughs> I should uh, watch what I'm saying here. But in, in general, at least in Europe, you would... Bring your layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would say, you know, we have uh, longer and colder winters and the summers can still be nice, uh, especially because we are so high up north. We have the extended daylight during uh, summertime. So that's probably my most favorite thing about Denmark, that you have very long uh, summer nights with, with bright skies, right? Right. What? When does the sun um, set? Yeah. How long does it stay up till? Yeah, I actually looked this up because I wondered, you would probably ask uh, this question. Um, I think that some of the, <laughs> the, the longest day of the year would probably be around 18 or 19 hours. Uh, so, so, you know, a the wow. it would be become bright at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. But that is the, mo- the the absolute longest day. But still, the summers are quite nice, at least in terms of light. I, I really like to have a bright summer right. night. Um, on the downside, that also means that besides the winters can be cold, they can also be right. very dark. Yeah. So it's dark when you go to work and it's dark when you come back from work. And that can be a bit depressing. That definitely is. Um, I just, yeah, I think those yeah. the, those summer nights, though, when you're on the patio and the sun just never sets, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> cool. So do you mind sharing in anything else about the, uh, about Denmark? Sorry. Yeah, I just looked up and I thought, what, what, what does uh, an average person maybe not know about Denmark? So I was thinking in terms of also to keep it business related. Uh, one of our biggest, uh, some of our biggest uh, success in 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 business is uh, the toy uh, Lego. Oh yeah! I think every every kid knows Legos. Yeah, that's from Denmark, uh, and it's actually it's an abbreviation of two words, which means to play well or play nice. So um, that's it. And then we also have uh, Novo Nordisk, which is the largest producer of insulin in in the world. So for diabetes. 
And we also have the largest uh, windmill producer, Vestas. Okay. Vestas Wind Systems. Yeah, and just to mention a little bit about Denmark, I said the population of, of our capital is around 1 million. I would, the, the total population of the entire country is 5.5 million. Wow. We are a very small country, and that shows that um, we have a lot of water and a lot of ocean. So at no point within the kingdom of Denmark can you be more than 30 miles away from the ocean. That is really cool. So that's really cool. Yeah. But on the downside, because we're so small, we don't have any mountains. So that's one thing I really love when we go travel is to see and enjoy the mountains. I think it's something very special. To me. Of course. No, I, I share that with you, Morten. And are you or would you say you're more of a beach person or a mountain person? I guess I'm more of a mountain person. I I like to go to the beach. But in Denmark, we have these call we call it grass beaches it's still it still has sand by the water but then where you would hang out might be in in a lawn or you know grass right so uh, i i'm not a big fan of sand i would say <laughs> <laughs> me neither honestly it gets in everything yeah, exactly and grass is so nice and soft and you can lay on it and when you get up you don't have stuff all over so good call yeah. <laughs> i'm with you there and so i just wanted to ask this one because obviously Money is, is a topic not talked about in a lot of cultures. So is the Danish culture, do they have a different attitude towards money? Or would you say it's quite similar? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in terms of money, um, I think the Danish person is, is average in that sense. There's, I haven't really thought about that specifically regarding Danes. I can tell you that most Danes, or Danes are more likely to own their own home compared to other countries. Uh, that also means that the average lever- uh, leverage is high compared to other countries. Due to COVID, though, we also see that savings in Denmark, the savings rate is skyrocketing because people want to ha- have a little cushion, you know, to fall back on. But, you know, it, it is a market economy. Uh, everyone wants to do well. Yeah. I see a lot of people, you know, rushing to the car dealership to get the newest Tesla or whatever so they can show <laughs> off. So in, in that sense, I do think uh, the Danish attitude towards money is very average or general. Probably similar. Yeah. Well, there. Yeah. Got. Yeah. Well, just the Scandinavian countries. I know that besides that, I think with um, just with social structures, they do things a bit differently. More. I get. What's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? The welfare. Yeah, or I guess they're just like they they do account for the welfare in their democracy as well. So it's not like a socialist. They're not socialist countries, but they, I mean, it's similar to Canada where citizens are more highly taxed, but for that reason, you know, the greater good does benefit more and it leads to a higher quality of living, right? And at the same time, you still operate in a free market. So it's just strange that the misconception of being a socialist country is just totally false because you guys aren't, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's difficult to explain to to <laughs> yeah, people when true. you meet them sometimes because when you explain it or describe it they say this sounds socialist and you're like no we, we are market economy and we're doing quite well right, right but it is true we have a lot of tax funded uh, services so one of the great ones in my opinion and i think that's uh, if you look at it if you look at denmark as a business i think it's it's a good business as well um university is for free we are we right. are a small country, so I think uh, almost every Dane knows that the future for for Denmark is knowledge. So for that, we need a lot of well-educated people. On top of that, we also have student support, so you can you, you actually get a grant 
from the government every month you attend university up to a total of six years. So so that's really great. Wow, brilliant. Um, yeah. And then we ob- obviously also have uh, healthcare and um, yeah, elementary school is for free. Obviously, you know, that also comes with its downsides. Uh, I'm not saying that the Danish healthcare is bad per se, but a lot of people do have an additional private healthcare. Right. And um, uh, I don't want to paint a picture of, you know, a rundown hospitals because that's not the case. But whenever you do attend a, a private hospital, you can see that it is run more business-minded and it is also maybe a little bit nicer right more efficient in a way too yeah more efficient and you know that's one of the things i i like that we in denmark have the possibility to um, to help each other out but i also don't necessarily think whenever we have an issue in the public sector that more money or more funding is the answer so I'm more in for for making it more effective, right, and efficient. Of course. Yeah. So there are some 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 stories where you say it's weird that that a doctor that is employed in the public uh, sector, he can or a brain surgeon, he can maybe do three three surgeries a day because that's how the public sector works. But when he goes and does his secondary job in the weekend or on his holiday in a in a private hospital. He's doing the same surgery. Right. It could be just across the street. Instead of three, he can do five. And it's not like those people, two extra people on the other side of the street in the private hospital, they come out, you know, less of a person or, you know, it's like, oh, every 50% of them will die because they hurry up. No, it's just because it's more efficient. So so that's one of the things yes. that... I, Better system. Yeah, that's one of the things I don't particularly like about the the public sector is that it's not driven to innovate. And I mean, Canada is the exact same thing. We have universal health care and people complain that it's slow. Sometimes it does the job for certain people. Others will always find reasons to complain. But at the same time, you get what you pay for. And if you have the money to pay for private uh, medical care, you will do so because the quality will be better because there's the lack of red tape and yeah. the ability for the private sector to innovate where governments are so slow to do that. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's something I didn't really understand until I developed my understanding of business too. And ultimately, that is why the private sector exists because if the incentive is there, which is the money, then people will, smart people will create efficient systems and find out ways to do it better. Mind you, that's a whole other podcast conversation for another episode. Mm. Thanks for sharing all that, Morton. It's, it's, it's great to hear. Now, let's get into the money talk. Do you, what was your first money memory? I think one of the one of the first money memories I have, not necessarily the very first, was when I was a kid. For my birthday, I had made a wish. This new two hundred Danish kroner note had just come in circulation. It, it wasn't in circulation just a few months before. And two hundred DK. And you said it's a two hundred. Sorry, two hundred note. Yeah, two hundred Danish kroner note. That would be around roughly thirty US. 30 to 40 US. Okay. And uh, I had asked for it. And uh, my grandma and my granddad were so kind that they actually gave me a 200 note for my birthday. And I was just, you know, it was out of this world. I kept it in my pocket. I didn't make a crease in the middle. No, it had to be perfect. And they also pointed out that they went to the bank and said, well, we want one that's all new. And I was so excited about it. And, you know, I didn't want to spend it. And then my dad said, well, don't you want to put it in the bank account so then they can take care of it? And, you know, that sounded like a good idea. But then after I had deposited it, I 
realized that I wouldn't get my 200 kroner note whenever I would come and withdraw it. I had this, you know. You're very smart to pick up on that. <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I, I've probably been eight or nine or something like that. And I just assumed that they would have a draw with my name on it, right? So it would be right. the very same note. And like, no, I wanted that one. I got it from my grandparents. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I guess that's one of my early memories. No, that's good. Well, it seems like you uh, you grew up in a family that, that had some good, at least money habits or values. So did your, your parents or grandparents help instill some of those values in you as well? Yeah, I would say so. I, my grandparents lived close by and they, uh, instead of giving me an allowance, which is not uncommon in Denmark for the grandparents to do, um, you know, whenever you go, they would give you $5 or whatever to, to go get candy. Instead of that, they... my parents are, are the king and queen of that right now, just because I've got my brothers have kid has have had kids recently. Sorry, so it's just it's funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly how my parents do it now. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's universal. I don't know. <laughs> my grandparents actually gave me a, a job, so my dad had a newspaper subscription, and my grandparents were en route to my elementary school, so they actually gave me an allowance of. Uh, $10 a month if I brought the newspaper from the day before by their house for whenever I uh, went to school. Okay. So that was nice. So I started the day uh, bringing the newspaper and they were always waiting for me and in the door and they, you know, you got a hug and you went off to school and it, it was a great start to, to the day. Um, and at home I had chores and, um, you know, helping emptying the dishwasher and stuff like that. And um, they would, helped me understand that if I saw something I really wanted, you know, they would say, well, then you need to do this uh, chore for 10 times because that's enough money. And, you know, I would have a little a little a book where I would like jot down how many times I've done it. And, you know, then the final time it's like, yay, now I can get my game or whatever it was. So I think I had a good uh, understanding of money in that sense. And you know, if I was looking at Legos, uh, coming back to that, you know, yeah. you, you, you always want the bigger set, right? You see, oh, this is the cooler set, the big one. And then they would say, no, this is 50 times you have to do X at home. <laughs> yeah. And then you say, what about this one? This is only 20 times. It's like, okay, 20 times I can do it. Okay, I have to, I'll save up for that one then. So I think very early I understood. The, yeah, more realistic. Yeah, and, and I got a, a an idea of the meaning of money instead of just seeing numbers. So I think that was a good way to do it. Yeah, I would agree. That seems like a, a great way to do it as well. And it's kind of, they're, they're just showing you the, I mean, a good model for most things. But if this, then you can get that, right? If this, yeah. then that. And, and it's, it's a good way of thinking to, to figure out at a young age. So Yeah, and it's all about choices, right? So you can choose to to do this at home 50 times, but do you really want it that much? And then you start thinking, no, it's better to do this 20 times and then I have more time to and get the smaller thing and then I have more time to play with it. Yeah, and besides that, you know, I would say also um, yeah. my dad mainly, he brought me into investing. He was in finance himself when I grew up and um, he would always read the newspaper in the morning with the charts and the numbers of the the stock market from the day before right well that's so important and uh, i didn't really understand it yeah i didn't really understand i thought that was <laughs> that was so boring to see right. he had an entire page just with numbers right and tables so like oh why do you do this so he actually 
this is also way back then. He actually gave me a my very first uh, stock so I could follow it. So then all of a sudden, dude. Oh, sorry. I just gotta say, I love that. I swear, parents need to buy a stock for their kid young at a young age yeah. so that they can grow up with it. And you know, then all of a sudden, I was the one running down the stairs in the morning to find the newspaper and just see if my if my one stock had gone up or down. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's like the perfect so, bonding experience for you and your yeah. father. And and I'm I'm this leads me to the next question. But did that uh, make you want to go into economics and accounting for for your studies? I think even though my fam, I'm, I'm a, in a family of banking, to be honest, uh, so many, uh, but I don't ever think that that was actually ah, my oh, dream. But I had, um, after I finished high school, I, I had a year where I didn't really do much. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I did a little bit of traveling and stuff. And my, my dad suggested, um, because I needed a job, or he thought I needed a job, that they had uh, a position open in the bank he worked in. And uh, I applied and I worked there full time, full time for three or four months. And then I was like, this is actually kind of fun. It was a great team I worked in and there was a good atmosphere and there was a lot of going on after, after hours and stuff like that. So, so it was a really great experience. And I was young and I was thinking, well, I might as well do some education within this field. And then that's been, you know, the rest is history, so to say. I've stayed within it uh, ever since. Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think as well, I, again, you probably see it the same way, but to me, money, well, finance is just fascinating and it can, it just, the more you want to learn, the more you can, and it's kind of just never ending. Right. So. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it definitely applies there. Now your current job, I know you mentioned that you work in a bank. Can you, is there any way that you can describe your job in a fun and unique way without just saying your basic title? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> now I need to be creative. Uh, okay, this is a challenge. I will try. Although I, I think I, my initial reaction is I can't. I will try. I help <laughs> car dealers have enough stock of cars at their plots or at their lots so people can get their dream car when they want it. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, I guess so. So <laughs> you, you make sure that car dealerships have enough product to sell in a way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the official title is a credit analyst. Um, but that is basically what I do. I, I work with the dealerships uh, whenever they need to have inventory. And then I help them finance that. Interesting. Okay. And then, so do you work directly within like, a, with like someone of a financial position at the dealerships or just their representatives? It's, it's to, to a large extent for the dealers, it's actually offhand. So unless we have a, a new onboarding, uh, if we have an onboarding, we have a salesperson who has talked to the, the owner of the dealership and then they would be in contact with me and I would um, then do the, the, the credit proposal and, and settle all that part and, and then that's it. And then it will renew after 12 months. And, and if we don't hear from the salesperson, that same line would actually just be renewed without any changes. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense, actually. No, yeah. Not that you have to go out and do everything, obviously, that <laughs> you're there to, to put the deals together. That makes that makes more sense. And so basically, after your first stock, uh, just curious as well, like the, the one that you bought with your dad, what do you remember the name of the company? 
Yes, and it's actually quite fun because today you might think that's not actually appropriate, but it's the uh, biggest brewery in Denmark. It's Carlsberg. Oh, really? Another great business success of Denmark. Yeah. Huh. And I don't know if I should thank my dad, but I like a lot of their products today. I don't know it from there, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I do I not have I do think. not have the stock anymore. I, that would be a cool end to that story to to say I still have it yeah. and see how it's going. I guess I should have kept it because they have done quite well in the last twenty five years or so. So <laughs> I mean, I just yeah. I thought of that too because I did want to to find out what that might have been just in case, but. You know what I mean? It is just a company that's supplying a certain demand. So regardless if it's beer or if it's something else, it's a, it's a cool story. Yeah. And you definitely would have done very well if you held it until today. So that age-old rule of never sell does stand true. Now, what got you into dividend investing specifically? Like, did you try a few different methods and then settle on that? Or what is it about dividends that appeals to you so much? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, and and I think this will be a little bit of a longer answer. So when I that's started, okay. yours? <laughs> when I started in banking, you get exposed to all kinds of different things. We had a trading floor, a trading team, right? And I just loved being in with them, and I knew some of the some of them uh, previously, and it, it was a great atmosphere. And I wish I could have stayed in there. Obviously, being fresh out of high school, that's going to be a little bit difficult. You need to know what you're doing and, and it's a lot of money you, you are handling. So that wasn't possible. But I stayed in there and I just, I was like a sponge, sponge when I was in there. I sucked as much info I could, as I could out of those guys, right? Yeah. And it was great. And um, some of my biggest um, learnings from investing are still from back then. So, so it was really great. Um, then I started talking to these guys and some of them are some of some of those guys were more short term so they would look at maybe currency swaps they would look at uh, interest rates they would look at all those kind of things commodities and uh, i would start just following the stock market uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and unfortunately or fortunately however you put it i started believing that i could see trends so i uh, yeah, so right. it's like this seems very cheap for this stock today or, or comparing to where it's been trading. So for the first one or two years, I was actually quite successful in swing trading. I guess I was doing without knowing that that's what I did. I was just seeing, you know, usually this is between 12 and 15. Today it's 10. This doesn't seem right. I buy it at 10 and I'll hold it until it's at 15. Right. And, and I, I had a few stocks I did that with. One of them was a big uh, shipping company in, in, in Denmark. And I did actually quite well. Um, and I mean, then at some point I found out, okay, this doesn't really seem to work anymore. So I started to look more at fundamentals um, and trying to find the, an, another approach, so to speak. Right. And, and then I was still focusing on the capital gains side, right? And, and I think that's what most investors still do today, that the, the capital gains is the exciting thing. It's exciting when you see that uh, Apple increases 10% uh, after earnings release. It's exciting to see that Tesla can increase 40% when they reveal a new battery technology and stuff right. like that. Um, so, so I was small going into that. But then I started looking into the... It's, it's very difficult for you as one person to actively come up with, to know where the company is going and to know that the stock price is right 
it's a good yeah. price today and stuff like that. So it took a lot of years. And then um, I also looked into, I have a few friends who are into real estate investing. And that can also be done in very different ways. So one way is to do it with a speculative mind. So saying, I will buy this one, I will hold it for two years. And even if I don't make anything on the operations, you know, renting it out, I will be able in two years to sell it higher than I bought it for. And you could say, how do you know? Well, I've been able to do that for the last 10 years, but it's still speculation, right? The other approach would be saying, I just want to make a profit on the operations. So I'll not buy anything unless I can make a profit on the operations. Having that approach to me is very similar to dividend investing. I myself uh, am not a very uh, good guy, you know, with a hammer and a tool belt. So I thought maybe I shouldn't go into to real estate investing straight off. <laughs> so I thought, how can I sort of replicate that? And I would say that it goes very well with dividend investing because you are actually looking on a return on the operations of the company rather than right. what, what the external market, the, the stock market, will value your stock at. So, so your, your, the stock price can go up and down in, in, in cycles and it can go down if, if there's a trend against it. It can go down if there's a recession or, or whatever. But some stocks have done tremendously well over the last 30, 40, 50 years or even more by uh, returning dividends to their uh, shareholders. And not only returning dividends, but actually managing to increase their dividend year after year after year after year. So if you imagine it's a snowball on the top of the hill that you start rolling and then it's just slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, some of these stocks that I'm talking about here is, is uh, you know, household names, Johnson & Johnson, uh, a big a medical company. It can be Coca-Cola, uh, Pepsi. It could be right. 3M, you know, all these uh, Procter & Gamble, uh, Colgate, uh, these uh, giant corporations that's been around for, for a long time and has, has matured and still managed to increase their earnings year after year after year and increase their dividends. So if you look at, for instance, Johnson & Johnson, I'm not a shareholder, uh, unfortunately. These companies tri- typically right. trade at a premium, so they're difficult to get at a good price, which is what I would like. Uh, and they've been they've been trucking along for a long time, right? Long before we got here. So it's yeah, <laughs> exactly. But if you yeah. if if you look at a thirty year uh, period, um, so if you bought it in the late eighties, Johnson and Johnson mm-hmm. was still an important player back then. Uh, and I know thirty years is is a long time frame for a lot of people. But just stay with me for a second. If you paid a thousand dollars in for Johnson and Johnson shares in the late eighties. For a single year of dividends in 2019, you would get $900 worth. That's for a single year. I don't know any other com- compounding effect that's so tremendous. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Not a thousand. No. It's a 90% yield on cost. So that's basically what I am chasing. I want to be able to say in 30 years, I invested $1,000 and this year I'm getting my entire investment back for a single year. And what's crazy is that that, that example okay. I just gave you, that is not including all the dividends you got from year one to 29. And had you reinvested those dividends for even more Johnson & Johnson shares, those $900 might have been $1,200 or $1,500 for a single year. That's true if you're continuously invest, reinvesting them, right? So that's, that's the idea. Find good quality companies when they're not priced too high, invest in them and reinvest the dividends, and then have the courage to wait. Yeah. 
a lot of people today, you know, we have social media. I'm on Instagram myself. Everything is in, you know, the blink of an eye. And no one wants to wait 20 years. But if you look at even at uh, Warren Buffett and his uh, net worth, it's uh, exponential. So the vast majority of his fortune has come in the last 10 years or 20 years, even though he's been doing it for 60. Right. And it's almost incomprehensible, just like the scale that it's grown because of the time, right? It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So that's what um, I guess it's also the, the biggest struggle for me when I talk to other investors or people who want to start. They say, why would I not just invest in Tesla and it will be up 20 years, uh, 20% in a year? And that is true. But to me, there's also way more risk involved. I, I And, you know, everyone is different. You need to find a strategy that makes you sleep well at night. I like the idea that whenever someone buys a Coke, that you get just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of that price in your brokerage account as a, as a dividend. That Coke knows how to run their business. They know their market. They know their customer. They've been yeah. through this. Uh, Coke has increased their dividend for, I think it's 55 years. So they are what's called a dividend king. That's if you've increased it for more than 50 years. And, and think about it. What has happened in the last 50 years? The computer has come. They've been through several wars. There's been an oil crisis. It's been 9-11. Uh, that's been you know, global expansion, global right? Ex they were in the US. Now they're in every single country and every single fridge pretty much. Yeah. And, and, and there's been a quote unquote a war on sugar, right? And they're right. still just, you know, crunching every day, every day, every day. They're finding new ways. And that's another way why, I, another reason why I like dividend investing. So if you compare it again to real estate investing, if you don't find someone to handle all the day-to-day -day tasks for you, you have to put mm -hmm. some effort into it yourself. But if you, uh, whenever you buy a share or in, in Coca-Cola or Johnson & Johnson, you are effectively outsourcing all those difficult decisions to a great management team who has done great for years and years and years. Yeah. You don't have to worry about those tough decisions. No, it's true. It's a, it's a great point. And, and I, I, it's, I think it's good timing that I'm speaking with you now and we're having this chat just because I've started... Um, like I started building a position in a renewable energy company and a Canadian real estate investment trust. Yeah. And before I was more in the, like the index fund and then I realized like, okay, I mean like that's great over time, but just because I've invested so much time in the learning, I'm, I'm starting to look at individual companies now, but this REIT pays dividends every single month. Mm -hmm. so it's just, and it's one of those where it's like, it's on sale or technically at a disc, a bit of a discount right now because of the COVID and all that. So there's been a large drop and it's like, well, once again, once things progress, they are again, moving a lot of their retail operations to residential. So they're trying to get into a market that's not as vulnerable, Yeah. but it's just like, man, I'm, I'm so thrilled like that. I, I found this company and they pay dividends again every month. I was like, I'm sold on dividends too. <laughs> there's no beating it. Sounds great. Yeah. And, and again, I just, I think it's great that you're touching on the fundamentals because, you know, seeing different strategies out there trading bitcoin or crypto trading options all these new ways they, they seem appealing oh maybe i'll get rich faster this way but it just it's reassuring to hear you talk about the fundamentals because that's kind of what i'm focusing on it makes the most sense and it's like tried and true right yeah yeah and i i really think that the if you want to be a fundamental investor and a dividend investor i think one of the, the greatest things you need to start out with is to realize that whenever you're buying something, you're not buying the share price on the screen going up and down. You're buying a little bit of the operations of Coca-Cola or UPS. I am a shareholder in UPS. Yeah. They've increased their dividends for, I think it's uh, 
20 years or so. And I'm telling you, the joy I get every time I see a UPS oh, truck on the street, knowing that he's going to deliver parcels and paying me my <laughs> dividend, it's great. It's yeah. really, really great. This is probably the one where I get most joy. Whenever you're on the street and you see the UPS truck, it's like, yeah, go for it, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to go give him a high five. Like, thank you for <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's such a healthy way to look at investing because, well, I mean, that's the reality of it, but it gets so drawn and tied and it just you know emotions get into play and it, it becomes something that it's not so it's too bad that it scares so many people off before they really understand the concept yeah definitely well thanks for that explanation i think that, that was great morning so what are some markets that you invest in like as someone that lives in denmark are you heavily invested in u.s companies or in some danish companies and do you mind how do you go about investing into different markets as, as someone based outside of north america as I focus on dividend stocks and mainly uh, dividend growth stocks, so so companies with a long track record of growing their dividends, uh, I would say the market is actually a little bit narrow. There is not the same tradition in Denmark to uh, focus on having a growing dividend year after year. Some do it, but the, I don't. I don't remember anyone right now that has done it for twenty or thirty years. Uh, most of them, if they have anything, they would have, you know, a payout policy. So they say we pay out 60% of earnings. And then if they take a hit one year, then the dividend will just automatically go down. Okay. So um, I do have some some domestic uh, positions, but I, w- I would say probably 90% of, of my portfolio is in, in the U.S. market. That's a good point, though, because I mean, I guess that's why it's the U.S., right? They have the dividends growth stocks available where i don't think many other countries might so one of the perks i guess of having a massive population loose regulations and good old american capitalism yeah and also if you do invest in multinational companies from the u.s like mcdonald's i don't have the numbers but but they are not only relying on the u.s market right they are everywhere so is coke so is ups so and so is apple if you want to take that that's a dividend stock but but hasn't increased for that many years but a lot of people sometimes to hear they get caught up in geographical diversification and say well if you hold apple uh, they still get what 50 or 60 percent from from abroad so it's not really that's a great yeah, point it's, yeah it's, it's, true. it's not really if you have a u.s retailer of course you know you're very vulnerable to how the retail market is in the u.s but if you have uh, bigger companies or like 3m you know, the world is the marketplace today for a lot of people, or for a lot of companies, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. That's a healthy way to look at it. And yeah, because most companies are expanding global. So then I guess maybe a better way to frame this question, because I guess here, this is what I want to get across, is I have few people from outside, well, basically from countries that I don't I don't know how they would go about investing in the U.S. So as, as a foreigner investing in the U.S., do you have any recommendation? Is it just like mm-hmm. finding a broker that offers some sort of low commission um access or do you mind elaborating on that or do you get what i'm asking yeah 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 definitely so so much has happened in the last five years at least in denmark in in terms of brokerage uh there was not really any competition earlier and now we are still not at completely uh zero commission uh brokerage in denmark but we have got written of a fixed minimum so now you just pay a very low percentage so I think I pay 0.1% for my shares. 
for my uh, trades in the US market for my broker. And that's what I'm saying to people, especially if you're starting out. Okay. You know, it, it's no point in, in putting in $100 a month if you have to pay a four ninety five plus a, a percentage or whatever of, of the total total trade. You need to find a, a reliable broker with with, uh, with low commissions and preferably no commissions. Right, right. And then there's, there's a lot of European countries and it's difficult yeah. to find one broker that covers all of them the one I use is called uh, Saxo Investor. And as I, as I understand it, they are available to most European countries. And there's also uh, the uh, Dutch broker called Digiro, D-E-G-I-R-O. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly. But, but Digiro, yeah. about right. Yeah. yeah. So they are um, two brokers I usually mention when I talk to, to new investors like, you, if if you start out small, there's no worries about that. Everyone starts somewhere, but just make sure that yeah. you are. So it's difficult in the start, right? You need to get this the, the ball rolling and stuff. And, and if you start out small, make sure that you're not um, making it more difficult for yourself by having a very expensive broker. Right. Um, yeah. And I, well, I mean, I think it is the best time for any investor to be alive, really, or a self-direct investor, because mm-hmm. like you mentioned, in Canada, we didn't have any no commission brokers. Now we actually have gotten them in the last few years, at least for ETF shares as well. So um, mm-hmm. it's just great, the competition and what that breeds. But oh, yeah, good. No, thank you for sharing that. So hopefully any European listeners as well, uh, if they haven't started, they can consider using either of those two companies. So that was DeGiro and sorry, what was the first one that you used? Saxo Investor. Saxo Investor. Okay, cool. Great. And then so here, let's dive into the big three questions, Morton. So uh, if you could think back over your lifetime, I like to get my guests to reflect. So what would be three of the biggest investments that you've made in yourself that helped get you to where you are today? Yeah, so one of the things I guess I would would mention is that uh, I think curiosity has gotten me far. Uh, I've continued wanting to learn and I've continued studying after my graduation. Um, some of my co-students had an attitude as in, you know, now I have a degree, I don't need to study more in my life. Uh, and I wish them all the best, I really do, but I, don't, I do think you will fall behind if you don't keep educating yourself in life. And that's professionally and personally. I 100% agree because I, th- I was that person with that attitude before and I'm glad I've woken up a little bit, so... Yeah, and, and I understand. It was tough, you know, going through your master's. It was really tough. You had mm-hmm. to read so many papers. You had to uh, uh, write so many papers. So, so much you had to do, right? And, and there was other parts of your life that you had to, to, to turn down on because you needed to go through. And when you're finally there, you know, it's like, oh, never again. And it's like, I understand the feeling, but you just have to keep going. You can t- take it down, but, you know, Reading five minutes, just five minutes a day. If you do that seven days a week, you know, it's it's half an hour and that will accumulate over time. Uh, if you can do 10 minutes a day, it's great. If you can't find uh, a good audio book that you can listen to, to and from work, do whatever. Like it, it, you really need to pick up and, and start educating yourself because no one is going to come and, and save you so to speak yeah so to to return to that like uh that being said i do think that getting my degree is one of the the big investments i've done uh, and it's still paying interest today to me and i think it will continuously throughout my life uh, i don't have any student debt so that's really nice 
uh, that's usually how it is. Good for you. That's huge. That's yeah. usually how it is in Denmark. And that's why I can say that because I meet a lot of people, you know, they say, is, is a degree really worth uh, the 200,000 student debt uh, you will get or however much it is? And I understand that then there is a trade-off because if you need to spend 20 or 30 years paying off that debt where, and you know, spend five years in college where you could have maybe worked instead. I understand that that's a trade-off. Yep, that opportunity cost. That being said, I think it's great to have something to fall back on and you have paper on it. So I think um, one of the things I would also mention would be that personally, one of the good investments I did was I did a semester abroad in North Carolina. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was a lot of fun. And, and I should probably stress that that was the, the personal part. We, we were three guys that, that had an internship at a local, local bank. Cool. And uh, they were some great people there, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I would say I, I'm probably happy that I did have a, already had a relevant student job at home because we did have some professional and, you know, insights in how they work at the bank. But uh, my, my co-students at home, they were, you know, working nine to five at a bank every day. We were more on a holiday, so to speak. Uh, but it was great, you know, moving to another country around the world. Uh, obviously, you, you speak the language, but you don't understand how things work and how is everything going to work out. And it just turned out to be, be a great experience for me. And it's, it's a valuable memory to me. Good. No, I'm glad to hear that. And I think it's so important at a younger age as well to just to to get outside of your area or your comfort zone, your bubble where you've grown up and just to see Definitely. what it's like in another place and experience the people because it's it's such a valuable learning experience. So yeah. And what school did you go to in the States? Well, it was actually a local community college because that was the only way we could get a, um, a visa. We were there for we were there for the internship, oh, okay. which was not allowed to be called an internship because of uh, immigration policies. So we had a field research project at the community school, okay. but we were spending the time at the bank. So it was it was a little bit working the rules, I guess. Interesting, but this was all through your school in Denmark, like organizing yes. them. Okay, yes. gosh, that's cool. That's it. Just seems like one of those opportunities that's perfect for you and kind of falls in your lap. So, yeah. Oh, those are great three experiences as well. Um, And again, like you said, I think education, it it really can't go wrong, regardless whether it's formal or Um, Mm self-education. It's so important. And that is a trend that I've noticed on the podcast. So great, Morten. Thank you for sharing those. And then let's get to your IG account. So what was the story behind making Dividend Club and, and wanting to give back? Well, I think now I praised my my education, but I also realized pretty quickly after I graduated that corporate life is probably not for me. Right. Okay. Uh, to be honest, this this there can be a that makes two of us. Yeah. So so that doesn't mean that I don't. If my employer is listening, I'm coming to work tomorrow. Don't worry. I, what I mean is that what I mean is to make a career. You know, you work hard. Right. You work for that promotion. You get more responsibility. You get you get a better pay. But it also means more hours, it means more stress, more responsibility. And I, I have a few friends of mine who, who really have pursued this. And have you asked me 10 years ago, I'd also say, well, my dream job would be to be a CFO of a bank. Like it sounded fun. And I think it is fun. But when you look at the right. trade-off to what it is you're getting and gaining and, you know, and having to, to have less of in your life, I just don't really see it. Um, the, 
uh, especially in this time where you have so many possibilities, especially online, right? Um, and, and this is also why I ended up yeah. doing dividends because my ultimate goal with, with my, my own portfolio is that it will be able to, if not uh, completely um, uh, support my lifestyle, then it would be able for me to do a part-time. Right. That's the hope. I think, well, with most people too, right? And it's like, I don't think a lot of people have the general understanding of your dividends paying your income. It's still kind of a foreign language to many. So Yeah. So I can go by that really quick. So a dividend is when a company is paying the shareholder a little bit of their uh, profit every year. They, they, annu- right. they announce it at the, uh, the management announce what dividend they will pay. And it's not an obligation until they have made the announcement. So if they paid one last year, they can decide this year, we don't want to pay it. So that's why I really like to find those uh, stocks with long track records of dividend increases, because I think it shows a commitment. And it also helps to to, uh, support the share price. So if you look at Coca-Cola, for instance, um, if Coca-Cola is yielding probably 2% today or something like that, maybe three, I would take that. But if you if you look at it, if, if it were to all of a sudden, it's yielding 3.3%. If it is all of a sudden to drop, uh, if the price goes down, the yield goes up. Um, yes, let's get yes. that. Yes. If the price goes down, the yield goes up. <laughs> if the price goes up, the yield goes down. So if the price was to drop by 50%, then that dividend yield of 3.3% would be 6.6%. And that would just be outrageous if the dividend is right. safe you would see people <laughs> flocking you know rushing to to buy coca-cola so if there's more buyers than sellers then you know it's gonna put the price upwards again and that will put the yield down so it does regulate in some time. Right. and i'm actually reading a book right now um, by a, a american professor that's called the declaration of dependence not independence but dependence and it's about the dividends in the 21st century. His name is Jeffrey Huston. It's uh, very interesting because his approach is that um, it really is a declaration of, in- of dependence when the management says we will pay out this dividend. And that becomes like an invisible bond between the share, uh, the, the share market and the management and the company. And it's like, okay, we have this understanding they will pay a dividend. And with time, that dependency will sort of regulate the share price. So that's really, really interesting. And he's also mentioning that some academ- some of the academia has difficulties explaining this because according to a very famous theory from the 60s, uh, dividends are irrelevant. And it means that the shareholder doesn't really care to have the dividend paid out in the bank account or, in the, or it would just stay in the company and then the share price of the company would show that there would be more cash in the company. So it would be the same. It, it's called the dividend irrelevance theory. But um, there's so many things about that. It, I, I do agree with that topic that, you know, you don't uh, care if you have uh, $5 in your pocket or $5 in your bank account. That's basically what, what they're saying. But what right. I just think it's such a simple uh, approach and it's too simple. So when the dividend is paid out and if the management makes that commitment to year after year after year and they've done it for maybe 25 years, increased it every year, do you want to be the CEO that says next year, oh, we can't 
we can't keep that uh, increase going? Do you want to be that CEO that ruins that track record? No. So what it does is that dividends comes first in the mind of the management. And what that means is that you are way more careful about making these crazy new investments that, you know, robots or 3D printers or whatever it is that, that sounds exciting and you get all hyped about it. And then it turns out it's a terrible return on investment. You get way more careful about empire building, which is when uh, within a company, a vice president is maybe just interested in how many headcount do I have? I have the biggest department. I have the biggest sales revenue. You know, all those things. I have the biggest office. I have the biggest pri uh, private jet or whatever. Like if dividend is at the central mindset of the management, I really do believe that the dividend irrelevance theory falls. And that's a big thing to say because those guys were really smart. But, were they? Well, I, I mean, I agree too, because I, again, it should be stated that I guess, well, not all companies pay dividends, right? So like no. as things are growing uh, in this day and age, growth stocks are becoming a lot more popular and it's usually yeah. only once a company becomes established and they have enough retained earnings that they can pay out the dividend that they do so. Um, but no, exactly. Like you said, it's just, there's a track record of 25 years versus a company that's paid a dividend once, then they stop paying it, then they paid it again. Like you're going to realize the fiduciary duty and the fiduciary standard for that company that's paid for 25 years. Like mm -hmm. anyone that understands is going to choose them over some brand new company potentially. Um, yeah. And, and actually on my, um, I, I did some research for my um, Instagram account today. And uh, actually um, the founder of uh, Dow Jones, Charles Dow, has said, and I didn't, I was very surprised when I saw that because he was actually more into kind of technical analysis with all his index or oh, now it's expensive now it's cheap right but right. he actually he actually he's he's famously quoted for saying that at the end of the day value in the stock market is defined by the dividend yield okay right yeah so that's really interesting. and so what, what does that tell you like what do you get out of that when you hear that well i think it shows that the real value is uh, driven by dividends that it's the companies that consistently have been able to turn a profit, not only on the paper, I mean, earnings per share, the, the EPS measure is actually a financial measure. It leaves a little room for accounting creativity. So sometimes you can say, oh, no, right. there's, there's uh, amortization, there's depreciation, there's all kinds of things where there's room for interpretation. But the dividend has to be paid in cash. You know, it's like your, your, right. your rent every month. You, you can maybe if you have a nice landlord, he might say, yeah, OK, you can pay a few days later. But you, you can't really do trickery with your bank statements and show it to him like, no, he needs the cash in his account. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And I mean, the way you mentioned how it is correlated to the price, I think that's that's quite valuable because a company that can pay dividends consistently, you're not going to see as much fluctuation in the share price, I would think. Exactly. And obviously, uh, it's not like uh, all uh, companies that have paid a dividend for the last uh, 20 years that they would do it for all eternity. We do have uh, some yeah. big former long-term dividend increases, dividend growth companies that had to cut the dividend. And that's also something you have to be careful about. So one of them would be General Electric. They have cut the dividend uh, massively from, from their previous high. 
and they are struggling to you know find a balance today and you can see like you say it supports the price the the dividend and the dividend yeah. yield um but also when you break that bond it can get nasty yeah i can imagine um, it can get really yeah so so one of the things that i would look at would also be the payout ratio which shows how much of their earnings are they paying out um, so that's that EPS measure again. I said that they can do some trickery. Right. About. And I guess only accountants know of that trickery, right? Because I'm learning more about that and like how financial statements, there's different sort of regulate regulatory guidelines that need to be followed, like the PAAP yeah. and then there's the other types. And I didn't know any of that existed either. No, no. And, and that's actually uh, a core uh, argument for, for my choosing of dividend investing because you say you can't really figure it out. And there's so much to just understand the rules. And even if you understand the rules, you don't know exactly what principle they have uh, used. Right. So one example is that uh, I read the other day that Tesla, some some people did some analysis on it. And it shows that some of the, um, if your Tesla breaks down within six months, they have to do it as a warranty. They, if you take it to the shop, they have to repair it under warranty, Right. Right. But actually, they put in as, you know, they do it as a gift to you. I don't remember the exact English term. And that way, if you if you classify it not as a war. Oh, maybe complimentary. Complimentary. Like there you go. Right. If you, if, if you, if you don't uh, classify it as a warranty, they don't need to, to include it in a cost of goods sold. And that increases huh. their gross profit. Right. See, that's exactly the trickery. Yeah. And and you have you you're one person right. and and no matter how smart you are, I don't believe that you have the the real uh, brain power and enough time in the day to realize all of this and account for everything and then compare it to Toyota. What do they do? Oh, then Toyota is the better choice. No, go for the dividend. It gives you cash in your bank account. When that cash has reached you, no one can take it away with you. Yeah, and you can reinvest it. Yeah, that's one of the core arguments to me. Yeah, man, Morton, you're convincing me as well. And it's just, I'm, I'm glad. I, I don't think, I, I think I left this out before, but the REIT that I invested in, it's paid dividends consistently for the last 20 years and it's increased it. So that, that's just the thing yeah. that I'm just like, man, I'm very, like, I feel great about the investment. So it's just a matter of waiting now. <laughs> that's what investing is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome, great. Morton. Well, thank you so much. Now, mm. on Div Dividend Club, do you offer any valuable resources on your page for visitors that are free or paid? Uh, yes. If you go to Dividend Club, I do have a uh, link in my bio. And in that link, you can reach the latest. Um, I keep, we haven't even touched on this. If you uh, have increased your dividends for the last 25 years and you are in the S&P 500, which is the uh, 500 largest stocks in the US right and there are also some liquidity uh, requirements they are not really important anyway if you increased for 25 years and you're in the S&P 500 uh, you are officially what's called a dividend aristocrat and it sounds really cool doesn't it, it does. be an aristocrat. <laughs> yeah so that would be you know that would be Walmart Target uh, all the famous uh, Procter and Gamble Johnson and Johnson Coke uh, all of those right um, so I keep a list of that for free. So you can just click on, on my link in the bio on Dividend Club. And it's uh, just called the Dividend Aristocrats list. That's very valuable. And, uh, That's awesome. I hope everyone Yeah, and it's, it's, 
yeah, and it shows the price and it shows the yield and, and stuff like that. So that's a great place to start if you want to know more about dividend investing, at least I think. And um, then on top of that, uh, we haven't really touched on this. Uh, I'm also the editor of a monthly newsletter called The Dividend Insider. So The Dividend Insider covers three dividend growth stocks each month, which is currently trading below the historic dividend yield and or the historic valuation. So that would be like price earnings, price sales, and so on. The, the, the dividend yield and the dividend growth are the main goals in this strategy that I use in this newsletter. But because we've included the undervalued valuation metrics, it is actually performing on par with the benchmark since beginning of April. And that's quite significant because the recovery since late March has mainly been driven by big tech, none of which pay a dividend except Apple, a very small dividend yield currently. So, I mean, in that perspective, I would say that the portfolio has done surprisingly well. It is usually a paid service, but for your listeners today, as a gift from, from me to them, they can just send me a direct message on Instagram and they can get an issue for free. And if they uh, like it, I will also offer them a great discount if they want to sign up. Great. Thank you, Morton. Well, everyone listening, make sure you take advantage of that. And then, so where can they find you at? Will that just be on Instagram? Yeah, on, on Instagram is, is my main place. I do also have a Gmail. That would be instadividendclub at gmail.com. Okay, so the email is instadividendclub? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And then so it's I will put all, all that information and his handle in the show notes, which will be at dividendclub. Um, but Morton, thank you so much. That That's, that's great. And I, I really do hope the, I know I will take advantage of it. I hope the rest of the guests do or the listeners do. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope you will. <laughs> yes, oh, I definitely will. Again, the, the more you learn, essentially, the more you earn, right? Yeah. So it's, it's never ending. So, uh, But you have the floor. Any last piece of advice for the listeners before we go? Well, I would say this has been uh, great. And thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, keep learning. And uh, that will take you far. And there's just one way. And it's the long way. Don't, don't believe in Bitcoin. <laughs> I like that. And that is it for episode 58, everybody. If you want to learn more about dividends, hop over to Instagram and check out at Dividend Club. You can grab that dividend aristocrat list from the link in his bio, or you can send him a DM for an issue of his investor newsletter and see if that's a good fit to help you build that passive income. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals that want to learn how to invest or you think might get some value out of it. I just want to help share the knowledge. And if you can leave a review or rating, it would really help me out. I do love to know who's listening and it helps my podcast with the organic reach. And that is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. This is your host, Jordan Hiley, signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves, everyone. Till next time.